This is It Was a Thing on TV. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the dregs of humanity. Episode 215, submission number 403. Your number's up. Your number's up aired on NBC from September 23rd, 1985 to December 20th, 1985 for 65 episodes. Every member of our studio audience has written down the last four digits of their phone number. If you want to share in thousands of dollars, write down yours. Because every day, someone at home wins on... And here's the poet laureate of television, Nipsey Russell. Well, uh, first and foremost, I think we need to get this out of the way. Unfortunately, we are Chico list this week because he is not in the country at the present time. Oh. He's in parts unknown. I think he's somewhere in the Caribbean. Oh, I didn't know the Ultimate Warrior lived in the Caribbean. Get it? You no, know, there, 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 there may be life after death or something like that. I don't know. Parts unknown. Yeah, so it, it's just me and Greg holding down the fort this week. And what we have first, oh my gosh. Greg, if we're looking back at 1985... Two of the networks had really good daytime lineups. Yes. CBS, they had, in 1985, the $25,000 pyramid. They had Press Your Luck. They had The Price is Right. And I'll even give a pass to Body Language, because that ran for a year and a half. It ran for a year and a half. But, I mean, those were the big three. You had Pyramid, you had Press Your Luck, and Price is Right. Right. And that would be that way for, well, Pressure Luck would uh, last about another year uh, after your Numbers Up premiered. Yeah, because Card uh, Sharks and, took its place at 1030, right? Yeah, uh, in January of 86, right. But still, even with, uh, with Card Sharks, that ran for well over three years. Yes. So, so by no means were there any slouches in the lineup. And then you add Family Feud once Pyramid goes away. The, the only slouch, realistically, is Blackout. Oh, yeah, which flopped so bad that the show it replaced replaced it. Yeah, you tried. But uh, when we take a look at NBC, oh, my gosh. NBC, I would say, had just as strong of a lineup when you talk about Sale of the Century and you talk about Scrabble. And you talk about Super Password. Yeah. And you talk about Wheel of Fortune. Oh, yeah. Those are four solid hits. Four solid hits. Absolutely. And uh, I don't think the first of those that got canceled was till 89. So we're talking like three and a half years after your numbers up premiered. But they did have uh, some loose ends in that daytime lineup. They had your numbers up, which we'll talk about shortly. But also, Greg... Yeah. What else did they have in 1985? 
I don't know what else did they have. Oh, wait. Are we going to talk about Time Machine? We're, we're going to talk about Time Machine <laughs> and, and, and John Davidson's promise. Okay. We're going to be around a very long time. If you're watching us for the first time, maybe you don't know, this is our very first show. But we plan to be here for a very long time. Oh, John. John. No. No, John. You, you tried. You're very optimistic, but no, that's... That's not going to fly. No, no, no. Uh, and we shouldn't even talk about ABC because what did ABC have in the daytime at this point? I mean, they had soap operas, mind you. But in terms of games, Family Feud ended in 85. Yeah, July, I think. It was, yeah, like June or July. But also, we did have a, a new show, a favorite, I think, around these parts. We had All Star Blitz. Oh, yeah. We'll one day talk about All-Star Blitz because oh yeah, just the theme song alone, you could talk about that for 15 minutes. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and also, at some point, I believe in 85, maybe early 86, they did have the new Love American style. Not the old Love American style, the new Love American style. Yeah, people were just clamoring for it back in the day. We need a new version of this anthology show from the early 70s. We want more Love American style. And we got it for a little while. Oh, yeah. But yeah, a- ABC, mm, their luck with daytime wasn't as good as their competitors. No. No. So your number's up. It aired... At 10 a.m., right uh, when the game show block started for the networks, a bad sign is what it was up against on CBS. Oh. Let me guess Pyramid. The Pyramid, yeah. No, you're not going to beat that. No. But also, at the same point, the producer of Your Numbers Up was Sandy Stewart. His show is going up against his dad's show. Oh. Yeah. That made the holidays very awkward in 1985, I'm sure. In the Stewart household, I'd bet. Yeah. So the game itself, oh, it's sort of derivative. I'm going to get it out of your system. Derivative? It's derivative in the sense that it's been done before, and it's been done in the future. The game kind of sort of has a bit of a blockbuster's feel. In the sense of you're given some initials and instead of getting the full question like on Blockbusters, you get just a segment. You just get like the subject of the, the sentence. So, yeah, if uh, we were talking about uh, what CI plays and you pick that, the question might be what CI plays at Municipal Stadium uh, or plays baseball in Municipal Stadium. That would be Cleveland Indians. Oh, look what I'm wearing today. Oh, wait. Yeah. If you're listening to this episode in 2022, it would be what CG plays at... Hey, the lawsuit still has to go through. They haven't gotten the name yet. I There's know, a- but they're going to they're gonna change the name. Uh, yeah, and the roller derby team is going to make a lot of money. Oh, yeah. Oh, It'll yeah. be like a Nebraska NBC thing with the uh, the old N logo. Yeah, the, the, the NET, yeah. I don't think they're going to get that rich off of it, but, you know, they do hold all the cards. It, it's their trademark, for, uh, for heaven's sake. 
Well, okay. at least they're not Mark Zuckerberg right now with Meta. Well, the less said about that, the better, I oh, think. Oh, yeah. So before we even get to the sentence stems, the question stems, there's a digital wheel. Oh, my gosh. This is like the coolest thing on the show. Yes. It's like sort of like a slot machine, not unlike, say, Joker's Wild, except it's electronic and the people pull the handles and going around our, the, our numbers and blank spaces. And occasionally you'd see a car icon. We'll get to the car icon in a little bit. So the two people who have numbers are going to battle over a question picked by the third person, the person who got the blank. Now, each of the two people who plays has consecutive numbers. Zero, one, one, two, two, three, all the way up to eight, nine, but also nine, zero. So it does roll back around. And the person who picks the stem that uh, the people are going to play, they're out of it. But the thing is, they sort of control the destiny. Okay, is the eight going to go up there? Or is the nine going to go up there? And whoever got it right, they got a diamond. Why a diamond? I don't know. I think it might be easier just keeping track with points. Maybe they don't do points because, again, there's another number in the mix in a game of numbers, and maybe that's a little too confusing for the home audience. So whoever's right, their number goes on this giant numeric display. I'm not kidding when I say giant. must have room for probably close to 20 numbers. I'd say at least 15 or 16. And that person gets the diamond, but also gets control of spinning the wheel. And again, whoever gets the blank, they pick the stem that remains plus a new stem. And this repeats until somebody accumulates six diamonds. And at least on the first show, everybody was spotted a diamond. Well, that's nice of them. Everybody was spotted a diamond. So, yeah, you got one point. Also, we should add that any incorrect guesses got rid of a diamond. The number wouldn't go off the big numeric display, but you'd go down a diamond. So, obviously, there's a little bit of a penalty there. And you can never go below zero diamonds. You, you can't have negative diamonds. This isn't Jeopardy. Uh, and if neither opponent guessed correctly... The contestant who uh, picked the riddle, the person who had the blank, won $50. $50. And spun the wheel again. But they didn't get any diamonds. They just got a $50 stumping bonus? Question mark? Maybe. I don't know. And then the first person to get six diamonds won the game. And $500. Yay. And then it, it's very interactive. I got to give them a ton of credit. This is like a very interactive show, pre-internet. You had people playing from home in the sense that on any given day, they had the display, the readout showing all the numbers. And if you had all four numbers in your phone number in that readout, you could send a postcard in, you could win $1,000, or payday Friday, you could win $5,000. Ooh. Not bad for being at home. 
but there's one catch. Not really a catch, but if you have multiple digits in your phone number, yeah, like let's say we have 4288, you have to have two eights up there. You can't repeat the eight. So that gives you a bit of a disadvantage, I think, potentially, especially if for some reason your number, uh, your phone number ends in, say, 7777. I know it's a long shot. So, yeah, it may be a long shot, but, you know, it could still happen where, you know, four eights pop up or four sevens or four whatever digit. But, yeah, those people are probably not going to be playing the game uh, as much as people whose last four digits are one, two, three, four or zero, one, two, three or something like that. So the end game, again, this is the home interaction part. So if you on a given day had your four digits in the, uh, the electronic display, the numeric display, you send in a postcard, all the postcards go into a, a tumbler, and the day's winner pulls out a postcard. It gives it to Nip- Nipsey. It doesn't take a look at it. There's an obvious reason why. So the game continues in the bonus round, essentially like the main game, except the day's winner gets to pick the sentence stems. The object, and this is random, I think this is kind of clever, is they need to fill in the four digits of the postcard sender's phone number. Oh. Yeah. And again... It could be easy, you know, four different numbers. If you're really lucky, you can win really quickly. Or if there's some weirdness where somebody has a double number or a triple number or heaven help you, all four of the same number might be a little tougher to find the winning numbers. So if the viewer's phone number is revealed by answering questions and picking the right numbers, the contestant wins $5,000. And the at-home player, like I said earlier, wins $1,000, except on Friday, they win $5,000, just like the the, uh, in-studio contestant. Not a bad deal. No. But hey, Uh, wait a second. We haven't even talked about who has hosted the show yet. Oh, we haven't talked about who's hosting it. Oh, we're going to have a lot to say about him. We'll get to that in a little bit. Okay. Uh, before we get to the host and hostess, uh, another thing that we should add is throughout the course of the game, the entire audience, and with all due respect, the entire audience at this show looked like they're all retirees. You didn't really see anybody who was younger than probably about 50. Oh, no. They were all holding like their little cards with the numbers. They're like, all holding their cards. Yeah. Waving hey, look at my phone number. I get my phone number. This was 1985. No one cared about giving away their phone number on TV. No. Yeah. Nobody cared about phone numbers or social security numbers. No. Identity theft wouldn't be for another 10 years or so. Every audience member had their last four digits of their phone number on a cardboard card. And if their four numbers ever showed up in any order on the board, and again, if they had a duplicate number, if they had, let's say, two threes in their phone number. They needed two threes. But anytime they had all four digits filled out, 
they went up to Nipsey and he verified it. And the person got to pick who they wanted to back. Sort of like picking your own pony, if you will. And generally the person would pick the person in the lead. Boy, that makes a lot of sense. And if that contestant won, the audience member won a trip generally or some prize. I believe it's primarily a trip. Not bad for going to a TV show as a retiree in 1985. I want a trip to Cancun. Oh, see? Yeah. Also, I mentioned earlier on the wheel, there was an icon. It was a car icon. And it showed up with some regularity. And if anybody landed on that car icon, the game halted. We had like a side event going on. Oh, yes. Where we had a vehicle with a license plate on it. And it was from like anywhere. I mean, they'd have from Colorado or Pennsylvania or any of the states. But one of the numbers has like a question mark over it. Hmm. And they had a one in 10 shot of guessing that number. And if they guess the number, they want a car. All right, guys. You've always wondered what the hell is the second show in the opening theme song? Well, guess what? We're going to play the clip from it right now. chance now to win that big beautiful car over there Ooh. Uh-huh. Oh, shall we try it now well lee is standing next to the license plate on that car we've covered up one of the numbers on that plate and oh. you see it's got a red question mark on the number i'm more interested in the year on that plate does that say 1970 uh yeah 1970 oh my all you gotta do to drive away in that beautiful 1986 car is tell us what number is covered up there. Okay. My mom and dad are here, so for them, I'll pick a two. Uh, Wait, boss, again, I didn't hear you. Both both my mom and dad are here, so for them, a two, please. A two. It's a two. You know, one thing I noticed in that video, that looked dated. And what I mean by that, if you look at all the shows on NBC at the time, Sale of the Century definitely does not look like 1985. That looks a little more futuristic. Scrabble didn't look like it was 84, 85. No, no. It had computers. It had some really good graphics. Yeah, the cool rotating board. Yeah, Yeah, the cube. And he had Super Password, which had a very contemporary, quasi-futuristic set, especially compared to Password Plus, which had only been on the air about two and a half years earlier. And Wheel of Fortune's Wheel of Fortune. What can we say about that? 
But when you look at this, this looks so lackluster compared to all those other shows. Now, I'm not saying that's why it got canceled, but I mean, if you look at that, I mean, seriously, that looks like something you might have seen, I would say like 81 or 80. That's sort of like the set and the lights and all that. Maybe that's like a, a Blockbusters or Las Vegas Gambit type of era show. It doesn't look like 1985. It I'm doesn't sorry. look like a 1985 when, set. Well, well, especially when compared to all the other shows that I just mentioned, and we could throw the pyramid out there. We could throw prices out right out there. We could throw pressure luck out there. Even body language didn't look that dated. So yeah, I, I don't know if it was just Sandy Stewart or NBC, not putting a lot of money into the sets, but it definitely looks older than 1985 and very antiquated compared to the shows from uh, from NBC at that time. Yeah. Especially like Sale of the Century. Sale of the Century was like glitz and glamour and this is like stenciled lights. Yeah, lights peeking through a stencil of like a starburst or something like that. I don't know. It, it just looks very cheap to me. Plus those lights, they almost look like Christmas lights with the logo. I don't know. It looks like it just had a lot less, I don't want to say class, but it, it just was like a, a tier or three below Sale of the Century and Scrabble, especially when you look at them in hindsight. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Wheels 1980s set definitely looks dated, but there's a charm to Wheel Fortune in the 80s. Right. Plus, also, I mean, you had Young Vanna back then. And so, so I mean, you knew when that was from. That, that was from the, the mid-80s. And, and even the graphics, I mean, they did get better over time on Wheel of Fortune. Yeah, especially when it, later on the syndicated version. Yeah, I mean, even we want to talk about Time Machine. At least Time Machine looked futuristic. Maybe that's a Reg Grundy thing. But Time Machine didn't look like it was from 1985. Well, you know, Reg Grundy, he cared about quality. When he was in stealing formats. Oh! oh, oh. oh. But oh, I mean, in terms of, like, sets and everything. Prove me wrong. But no, you're right. That's why I said Sale of the Century went all out. Time it, Machine, even though it didn't last long. All out. All out and, and did not look like a 1985 show. And even Bruce Forsyth's hot streak on ABC, that set was pretty nice. And we ranted and raved about the, the big light display that showed the, the winnings of the teams. Oh, yeah. Th- that was beyond 1986, in my opinion. And, and even, again, Scrabble, they had the rotating cube. It was a yeah. very futuristic show, Scrabble. It was ahead of its time, absolutely. But yeah, this, it looks like a relic that may not even made it to cable. I mean, even like jackpot back in the day. Oh, yeah, it's jackpot quality, the set. Oh, it's less than jackpot quality, I'd say. Oh, no. I mean, jackpot was at least fun. And uh, I mean, even Mike Darrow made it somewhat fun and entertaining. But, I mean, it just didn't look as, as cheap as this set. And that was done in Canada, for heaven's sakes. Eh. Yeah, they were playing Jackpot A. Hosted by Ellen Thick on the weekends. Oh, you don't want to make me call him Mike. 
no, no, no. I'm not doing no, it. No, don't. Chico, no. I don't want him to question what he missed. One other thing I should add about the card game is that at some point in the show's run, they stopped changing the license plate after every attempt at guessing the hidden number, and they played one plate until somebody got it right. And they'd actually have like a meter with zero through nine, and they'd have an X uh, covering up the numbers that had been picked. And we haven't even gotten to the main personnel yet. Oh, yes. First and foremost, and I think, at least in the game show realm, this is his only hosting gig. Yeah, unfortunately. Well, yeah, he did stuff that's quasi-game showy, like Juvenile Jury back in the uh, early 80s. He did a, a... pilot for jackpot which we just mentioned back in 84 he did one for uh, a show called star words oh yeah i remember that oh that's such a fun show to watch just because the open has nipsey russell just getting his groove on oh my gosh and and it's all to the uh the march from uh nine to five oh nice hey wasn't cnora on that pilot for star words he was, yes. Oh, good. Unfortunately, no. With, with, with CNR. No, unfortunately, not shaking his head like in the Mind Readers pilot. No. <laughs> we'll be talking about the Mind Readers pilot next year. Oh, you're darn right we are. Oh, there's a reason why it's the worst Goodson Todman game show. Oh, absolutely. But again, more on that later. But yeah, Nipsey Russell, I mean, he was a fixture on game shows for decades at that point. I mean, you're talking about match game, obviously to tell the truth. Uh, Rhyme and reason, I believe was made with him in mind, you know, doing poetry because he is the poet laureate of television. Oh yeah. And and of course, for for those that uh, don't remember him from game shows, he was on the whiz. He was the tin man in the whiz. Yes. But also he was one of the semi-regulars on one of my favorite shows from the 60s. Car 54, where are you? Car 54, where are you? And believe it or not, this is not going to be the only mention of Car 54, where are you? What? This week. This week. This week. Oh. Next this episode, week. we're going to have one. Oh, I promise. That's right, we are. Yeah. Wink. And he had a hostess. Well, of course, every show had a hostess. Uh, could we get Vanna White? Of course not. She's under contract. Could we get Diane Parkinson? Of course not. Could we get Holly Hallstrom? Of course not. We got Lee Menning. Well, you may remember Lee Menning. You don't? Okay. She, <laughs> she was the card dealer on, hey, second time we mentioned this show, this episode, Las Vegas Gambits. It's the Las Vegas Gambit show. Yeah. But also, she was the hostess on Sale of the Century after Sally Julian, but a little before Summer Bartholomew. So she was like second of the three hostesses. And announcing this show, we had a number of announcers on uh, Your Numbers Up. We had the legendary Gene Wood. Yeah, and very rare to hear Gene Wood on a non-Goodson Todman game show. Yeah, very uh, true. And he only lasted a month, roughly. 
And then John Harlan oh, for John most Hall. of the rest of this. Yeah, John Harlan. We all remember him. And among substitute uh, announcers on this show, Johnny Gilbert. Wow. Well, he would have been busy with second season of Jeopardy at this point. Yeah, second season. Yeah. Yeah. One more thing that we need to talk about is the music. Because we did talk about the music back in the early episodes. Because Greg's favorite, Super Train, yes, used, used a variation of the car wind music as disco music on the train in the discotheque. Yes. But also, uh, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that the person who uh, is responsible for the theme music, well, again, if we're talking about Super Train, there's one name that comes to mind, and, and gosh knows we've mentioned him more than enough in the course of this uh, podcast. Oh. Bob Covert. Oh, the legendary Bob Covert. The legendary. So that's pretty much all we have about your numbers up, unless there's anything that you want to add. But yeah, this was 13 weeks and done. Yeah, unfortunately. It was a clever idea. I, I thought it was clever. But again, when you watch this 36 years later. Oh, it's very dated. It's very dated, but also, again, looking at the audience, everybody in that audience, with all due respect to anybody who was in the audience, is probably dead now. Yeah. No, and I'm being serious. If you look at the audience, there's like nobody under the age of 60. I know I said 50 earlier. I'll bump it up to 60. But, yeah, everybody is just like a hangout for the senior citizens at uh, the Burbank uh, Retirement Community or something. Maybe they offered free tickets. Who knows? Well, well yeah, it's, it's a TV show. I'm sure they offered free tickets and uh, and maybe even uh, some goodies. Hey, attend our show and we'll get you a your numbers up hat. Or a toaster. A your numbers up toaster. <laughs> Can you imagine a your numbers up branded toaster? Yeah, no, I got a better idea. It has removable plates, so you can stick a plate in there, push down uh, to toast your your uh, your bread, and then it pops up, and then literally your number's up, and it says, oh, it's a number four. How cute. Okay, I'm a little crazy there. But also, one other thing, and maybe in the history of television, this does not have a big bearing, but I remember this from my childhood. Do you remember back around 85, the U.S. Postal Service was pushing the zip plus four, the nine-digit zip codes? Yes. This is the first show I remember them using a nine-digit zip code. Oh. The zip plus four. Oh, God. Well, it's timely. I mean, uh, that's one thing they tried instituting in 85. I don't think it was 84. I think it was 85. And even nowadays, I still get mail with a nine-digit number on it. It's like, okay, I, I don't even know where the number came from. I don't know if that's like the, the parcel uh, or lot number for my city or whatnot, but sometimes I get stuff in the mail with uh, the, the nine-digit zip code. And it's not the, my home address, to say the least. So, again, it, it's just a random observation from 36 years ago when I was extremely bored out of my mind as a little kid. Now, do we have anything else to add? Um, nope. 
That's all I think we have to say about your numbers up. It was there for 13 weeks in 1985 on NBC. He gave out prizes you could win at home. But in the end, in 1985, it was just another thing on TV. Yeah, it was. Well, you know, one way listeners can bring our numbers up? How? Subscribing to our YouTube page. Oh, yeah. On... Just go to It Was a Thing on TV, search that on YouTube, subscribe, and hey, Cheney, what should you do when you subscribe? Ring the damn bell! And when you do that, you'll be kept up to date with all our updates on the YouTube channel, including all the Spideyverse episodes. Oh, yeah, Into the Spidey Reverse. All the stuff me and Chico have done on Place to Be Nation, we're slowly putting onto our pod beat feed. And Wednesday, we're covering the first Amazing Spider-Man movie with Andrew Garfield from 2012. A very fun episode. It's very good, and I hope you'll enjoy it when it comes out on Wednesday. But, hey, Mike, on Thursday... On Thursday... Our uh-oh. next episode, well, we've been waiting... As we said in our previous episode, a year and a half for this episode. Oh, it's been legitimately a year and a half. Absolutely. This was originally going to be on episode 71. We've had it delayed a couple of times due to COVID, but it's finally coming out. Absolutely. And we're going to have a topic sort of related to it. Let's say that. It's not directly related, but it's sort of tangentially related kind of sort of yeah but you'll have to find out what we're talking about on thursday on our next episode of it was a thing on tv thanks for listening all right folks we're back danny aiello coming up eels gonna perform great show all around but first ladies and gentlemen uh, from time to time we here at late night feel the need to remind ourselves what is truly important in this life. Isn't that right? That is exactly right, Conan. And, you know, there's no better way to get this kind of message across than with a fable. Exactly. Good point, Andy. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, please welcome Mr. Nipsey Russell. As... That's right. That's right. As... There's more. As he reads a story from his very own book, Nipsey's Fables. Thank you, Conan. And the fable that I'm presenting tonight is entitled, The Turtle Who Thought He Was a Corn Muffin. (laughs) And it goes like this. Once upon a time, on the shores of a freshwater pond, there lived a turtle who thought he was a corn muffin. Son, you've been sitting in the nest all day. Why don't you go out and swim with the other turtles? I am not a turtle! I'm a corn muffin! (laughs) Did you hear that, mother? The boy thinks he's a corn muffin. Well, he's the dangest-looking corn muffin I've ever seen. Look! I don't know who you are or why I'm here, but I can tell you this. From this day forth, I will spend every waking second of my life searching the globe for my real family. And so, 
Our little friend started crawling. I can tell you he crawled around the world. From the magical streams of Trumpet Valley, through the yum yum trees on Animal Mountain, and all the way over to Goo Goo Falls in the Flippity Plop Hollow. And then one day, just as he was about to give up, he stumbled across Dingle's Bakery, a tiny mom and pop place on a quiet sunny street. And in there, a great surprise awaited our little friend. You're not so little anymore. Oh, I can't believe it. Look at us. A family. Oh! And just then, into Dinkle's Bakery walked a tall, dark, and very handsome policeman. <laughs> Good morning. I'd like a corn muffin, please. <laughs> this is no corn muffin. This is a turtle. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is a turtle. I asked for a corn muffin. <laughs> a corn muffin, not a turtle. This is a turtle. And the moral of the fable is, when you go into a bakery, make sure it is not run by a stupid <laughs> Thank you very much, Nick. Oh, my God. Thank you. It's a beautiful fable. I hope we all learned something. We'll take a break. We'll be right back with Danny Aiello. Stick around. 